Hello and welcome to the United Pubcast. 2020, the year that just doesn't stop giving. Arsenal in a relegation heap. Chelsea, well, 200 million doesn't seem to solve your world's problems. Spurs, title favourites. United, potentially in a title race. And then on top of all of that, there's this pandemic going on, but no one cares about that. I'm Larry as always, and with me to go through all things Premier League, but of course Manchester United as well. Tom Simpson, how are you doing, mate? Yeah, all good. Looking forward to the match this week against Sheffield. But as you say, we'll touch on a little bit more of the sort of the Premier League stuff this week. And while the United has given me so much joy throughout my life, I have to think in 2020, I'd have to credit Arsenal and they've given me so much joy week in, week out. And um, yeah, as you say, they're the gift that continue to give because that club is an absolute circus. Yeah, I've got to say, I've never been so angry to a point where I thought I'd need to ask for permission to break something. But, hey, like I said at the start, 2020, the year that just can't stop giving. Well, what joy do you get more out? Do you get watch the actual Arsenal, the football team, which we're going to get into, or is why it sort of feels so good? Is it because of characters on Arsenal fan TV that make it so enjoyable? I mean this with all due respect. And when I say all due respect, I mean no respect at all. Arsenal fans are truthfully one of the most diluted fan bases you will ever meet. Like, I I truthfully mean that. Like, we hate Liverpool, right, as Manchester United fans. But we hate Liverpool because there's a rivalry and there's a little bit of a mutual respect in terms of what they've achieved as a football club. With Arsenal, there's not... That respect's not even there, Tom. It's just a pure hatred because their fans think that they're on this... They they're on the they put their club on this pedestal that just does not exist. They are not with United and Liverpool. I'm sorry, like I don't know what you think, but that's just how I see it. Well, the table doesn't lie. They're in a relegation battle, so I'm with you. All right. Well, they're finally showing their true colours, and they're they're where they should be. Let's get into Arsenal a little bit, Tom. You know, you can talk about the whole Solskjaer debate and the pressure that he comes under, whether right or wrong. Now, when you look that put that under the microscope of say Arsenal and look at Mikel Arteta. They're 15th in the table. They're five points away from relegation. They're in all sorts. Now tell me, why is Mikel Arteta not under the sort of pressure that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is under? Well, I don't think it's an Arsenal thing, but I think it's just a case of he's not the Manchester United manager, which is why he's under no pressure. Now, he's obviously under big pressure from the Arsenal fans. I assume 90% of them probably want him out. Um, I can't think of too many that still want to keep him. That's understandable, but... Have you heard of a... Like, with Solskjaer, you heard, okay, we get Pochettino in to replace Solskjaer or Nagelsmann to replace Solskjaer or Solskjaer should be sacked and just get anyone in. Have you heard one manager linked with the Arsenal job? There there hasn't been one. And it's just... I don't understand it. If Solskjaer needs to be sacked and could potentially move to within two points of the top of the table, but a manager who is managing a massive club is five points from the relegation zone and not not one news article about him getting the sack... And I, I find it baffling. I can understand it because he's not the Man United manager, but still Arsenal, as much as we give them a bit of banter here, they're a big club, they're a massive club. And I just yeah. can't get my head around how little pressure the media are putting on him. No, 100% agree. And they are a successful football club. You have to look at it in terms of titles. There's United, Liverpool, and right behind us, I mean, it's Arsenal. On 13 league titles, like it's, that's not a small football club. Clearly successful, clearly have a history, but I think the reason you're not seeing large links with managers, or top managers at least, is twofold. I think the hierarchy there, maybe there isn't a desire to bring in a new manager. We saw 
during the peak of the pandemic that they made a lot of staff redundant, which obviously was not well received. Um, and in the midst of all that, they've broken, I think, was it their transfer record in paying 45 or £50 million pounds for Thomas Partey? Well, so very controversial. When they signed Pepe. I, forget, I don't think, I think that might have been before Arteta arrived. But in the last couple of years, I think they've been on par yeah. with sort of spending with United. Like They have bought a lot of players. No, no, absolutely. And that's the thing. You look at the investment that's gone into the club. They've bought a few centre-backs, which has been a weak point of that team. Anyway, let's go a little bit more looking at the playing squad. Um, Aubameyang has had... Well, he hasn't scored a goal. I think he's got one goal this season. It's a really poor record. Um, again, he's, he's we're sort of seeing the links to the Alexis Sanchez scenario where he, he was obviously performing best player at the club. He signs a massive deal after continuous speculation about moves away. And look at his form, Tom. He's, he's basically non-existent. And if you've watched Arsenal, he's just he, he looks like a player who's really lacking confidence. He's not getting great service, to be fair. What do you make of the Aubameyang situation? Is it more the player himself, or do you think he's getting a lack of service? No, I think it's the player himself, but I don't, I don't want to really use that as a criticism of him. I think it's any player in that situation in general. And, and yeah, you can compare it back to Alexis Sanchez. Obviously, his situation changed when sort of he left Arsenal and arrived to United. But the situation mm-hmm. I'm talking about is when you're the high perform, you're the best performing player in that team, and but you should be playing at a higher level. You sort of you're carrying the team on your shoulders, which Aubameyang most definitely was last season. Then he's rewarded. He has a choice to make. He can be rewarded with a huge contract and stay at the club and be given the captain's armband and everything that comes with that, or he can take the step up to another club and maybe not be the sort of that big fish. Now, he's obviously stayed at Arsenal for the big... And, like, I assume Arsenal put a lot of good PR, PR out there, which United definitely did as well with Sanchez and Pogba and everyone as well. But I'm sure they put all interviews saying Aubameyang's staying because he loves the club, he loves Arteta, he wants to win trophies with the thing. Well, the fact is, he stayed because they're going to pay him 350 or 400 grand a week. That is why he stayed. And this is not a criticism of him because this goes across the board. We saw this with Alexis Sanchez. Some could say we've seen with Paul Pogba. When someone is suddenly given that amount of money, it's kind of only natural that the performances drop. I think that motivation level naturally comes down a little bit, and I think you've seen that in the performances. I could not hate on footballers for chasing the money, but if you're going purely for money without the drive or the ambition of achieving things, look, it's like in, in your everyday job. If Bob becomes the bus driver for the company he's currently at, and then he you know, gets offered a role somewhere else that's offering him, you know, it's progression, but the same money, but he chooses to stay in the same job for more money. Money makes you happy for such a short period of time. But then once the money wears off, you remember the job that you didn't like before that. And I think that's what we're seeing with Aubameyang. A criticism of Arsenal, Tom, has been that their midfield is quite weak. So that brings me to the Mizat Ozil situation. Now, without going into the politics around why he could or could not be basically frozen out of the squad... Do you think that they've made a mistake here? Should they have been using Mizarozu? I, th- I think that he's clearly their most creative player, even if he's not you know, at the peak of his powers. We asked the question if they made a mistake. They're sitting 15th. The fact is they have made a mistake. They, they, they can't score goals. They can't create chances. He is the player. He, okay, he's not going to dr- drive them towards a Champions League spot or drive them towards a Premier League title. But he would just be better than what they have. I don't know who they're playing there at the moment. I've seen Joe Willock. Remember Matty Willock's um, older brother? I think he's playing in there at, at times. And you just think, 
again, we're 100% right. We don't want to get into the, sort of the political argument of why he's not playing. But again, it goes back to the Arteta situation, how he's not being criticised. I don't want to keep drawing Solskjaer and Pogba into an Arsenal debate. But it's, it's a direct comparison. It's, Ozil signed a new contract. is on 350 grand a week. It's roughly what you'd guess Paul Pogba is on. Could you imagine the reaction? Not even dropped, not even put on the bench, not even dropped from the squad. He's not registered in the squad to play for Arsenal. He's, he's not allowed to play. He's not registered in the squad. Could you imagine the reaction every single week if that was Paul Pogba? Solskjaer didn't register him in the squad. Every press... And um, Mikel Arteta hardly ever gets asked about it. He, he's not questioned about it. And again, it's probably over his head. It's probably his, not his decision. But again, it shows the difference between the way the two clubs are reported in the media. It is shambolic. And you know, talking about Arsenal out loud, and this is just a thought that's come to me, for all the criticism you have of the Glazers, you have to say Arsenal are a much worse run ship for mine. Just absolute shambles, top to bottom. Like, regardless of how bad United have been, you have to say Arsenal, for the players they have, to be sitting where they are. All right, before we move on from Arsenal, Tom, um, can I, before we go to the other side of London even, I should say, can I ask you, they versus Southampton tomorrow, if they don't get a result, if they lose that match... Is he gone? Well, before I answer if he's gone or not, if they do lose, I'm taking the day off work and I'm planting myself on the couch to watch Arsenal Fan TV for six hours straight. I might go back and watch their whole watch-along from start to finish in full. But, look, you get in the situation, all jokes aside, in terms of his job security, surely he goes. He'd have to go. I think there'll be five straight losses at home for Arsenal um, in the league, which would be the first time in their club's history, for if, if you believe the reports. And just, yes, we can joke about it and say Arsenal in a relegation battle. Of course, they're going to stay up. They'll probably finish, you think, probably mid-table, probably even scraping the top half of the table, you'd think. They're not going to be in a relegation battle. However, after 12, 13, 14, 15 games, if they're within touching distance of the relegation zone, I don't see how Arsenal don't act. Even if it's the wrong decision long-term, even if Arteta will prove to be a fantastic manager and have the right ideas, there comes a time where you have to deal with the scenario now. And again, this is an extreme case. I'm not saying bring in a Sam Allardyce, but Arteta won't be cut out to manage a team in a so-called relegation battle. They're going to have to get someone in. Even I know Arteta's an ex-player, but even another ex-player like we we did with Solskjaer, just to get a bounce, just to get four or five wins to change the fortunes of the season. So look, I hope he does stay because because it's not working for him. But if he does lose to Southampton, and obviously the listeners will know the result by the time they listen to this. I'll be shocked if he's in a job by Christmas. All right. Well, one to keep an eye on. Let's move to the other side of London. We've got Chelsea almost at the extreme end, or extreme opposite to Arsenal. Blowing money out of their asses, Tom. You don't need toilet paper. You know when everyone was rushing for toilet paper? Chelsea were using 50-pound bills because the amount of money that they spent this transfer window would make your eyes water. But we move into Kai Havertz. Now, that was a player who's come in for initially a fee of around 85 to 90 million pounds. And that's with add-ons. So let's take into account this deal is worth more than Paul Pogba's. But he's one piece of the puzzle. I think they ended up with something like five or six signings. Thiago Silva, Timo Werner. Um, The count continues. And it's a wonderful football team. It really is. Tom... What's going on at Chelsea, and why does Frank Lampard not really get criticism? Well, we can go to the, the Lampard question just straight away. Very simple. Same as Arteta. He's not Manchester United manager. I think you look at Solskjaer, I could definitely move above him, I think, with a win or with, with at least a yep. win and a draw. 
Some, so, yep. And suddenly, again, Solskjaer needs to be sacked and Lampard's doing this fantastic job. It doesn't add up, especially when you look at how much Frank Lampard was backed. But I take all that banter aside and sort of the narrative reported by the media, and I, Lampard is doing a good job. I, I feel like he's doing a fine job. I'm not saying he's fantastic or bad. I think he's doing well. Because we look at, and obviously we're all jealous of the way Roman Abramovich backed him in the summer. But we all sat here when, and maybe it was a little bit bitter, a little bit sour from us, but we're saying it's too many signings, it's not going to work, it's too many signings too quickly, um, they're not going to gel. So he has a tough job on his hands, and I think he is doing a, sort of a relatively fine job. But it's, it's, he's failed to beat a side. Yeah, um, there is that he's, in the he's top half, yeah. Above 13th, so that is something to take into account. Has, has he done a good job, or have they best had a really good run in? Well, you, you look at that, they've lost their last two games, so suddenly it's a crisis, and look, I'm happy to jump on that board and pile on the pressure. Two weeks ago, we were talking about Chelsea in a title race. And again, we're, we're going to go into United, and we're potentially looking at a title race. We lose to Sheffield United or lose to Leeds. Suddenly, it's a crisis again. So this season, in a unique circumstance, it is going to chop and change the narrative in terms of how you're viewing someone's success or failure. Overall, but again, I'm not, I don't want to praise Frank Lampard for it, but he should be getting criticised if Solskjaer is getting criticised because I think their job is pretty much on par in terms of what they're doing. Yeah, I think neither should get criticised if I'm being impartial, but nonetheless, I'll write it. And again, sad news coming out of the UK. London goes in a Tier 3, so we're back to no fans. So that's a little bit disappointing. All right, Tom, we're staying on the theme of London. Tottenham Hotspur, they currently sit first in the Premier League table. Jose Mourinho, after 12 games, wherever his team has been positioned in the Premier League when he's not sacked, that's the position he maintains so they do sit first. Um, look, they have a massive game against Liverpool tomorrow morning, our time, which I should say before we go into that, um, we're obviously recording this before the match. So you may know the result. Um, you know, Liverpool should have probably won this match to rule out this whole conversation. But in all seriousness, Tom, Spurs, um, do you look at them as genuine title contenders? Do you think they've got the depth to go all the way? And how do you see this game against Liverpool playing out? Whether they have the depth to, I'm not quite sure. You, you have to put them up there. I wouldn't have them as favourites yet. I still, for some reason, I still think Man City are potentially favourites, even though they're definitely not showing it. But Tottenham are top of the, at the moment, so you have to consider them. And I don't think it's so much a matter of depth there. I think they've obviously got a good manager. We'll get into Jose Mourinho. But I think what is proven the difference at the moment, and they will be clinging their hopes to, I think they've got the two best players, maybe not the two best players, but their two best players are so in form, and if they stay injury-free and continue their form for you know, another two or three months, I just think that could potentially prove a difference. You know, I'm not comparing them to Rooney and Ronaldo, but you look when we had Rooney and Ronaldo, it was just a, okay, kick off, okay, we'll, we'll go and score a few goals today. I think Tottenham had that almost belief with Son and Kane, where, okay, it's kick off, okay, we're going to score goals today. And obviously in a Jose Mourinho team, if you have that ability to go and score goals you're always relatively going to keep it tight at the back and keep clean sheets, which if you keep a clean sheet and score goals, you're going to win games. So I think you've definitely got to look them, look at them as title title favourites, not quite sure, but they're huge contenders at the moment and the, the match by the time the listeners are listening to this, I'm not quite sure. I don't know what the result would, what, what sort of favours us. If we're looking at United in a title race, are we looking at potentially a draw being the best result? Maybe a, a, Tottenham, a draw or a Tottenham win? 
Look, I think the best result for United would actually be a Tottenham loss, would it not? I mean, with them sitting first, I haven't seen the specific point gap between Liverpool and Tottenham, but I'm certain Tottenham go in with the advantage points-wise. But, but are, so we you, looking yes. at, are we looking at what we want more, a United title win or Liverpool not to win the title? Because I'm not sure if we are in that title race yet. Okay, well, as it currently stands, they're equal on points, 25 points each, so I stand corrected there. So, look, this is a massive game. I think you want to draw. I think that serves United well, but it also means neither of those clubs can take a huge amount of confidence from a big result against a title rival. So, you know, obviously a draw, I think, would be fantastic. And credit to Jose Mourinho, you have to say that. And I think that's a perfect transition into the Portuguese. Tom... When he was a United manager, there was a debate around, is he finished? Um, you know, and I think he's shown he isn't. Um, and he is effective with the right players and maybe when you give him the right autonomy. He's obviously got Tottenham playing a new style as well. And I think some credit needs to go into that. Harry Kane playing a deeper, play, almost a playmaker role. What to allow Son and Murat to get forward. And obviously they've got Gareth Bale and... Uh, they've brought in the other striker. His name escapes me at the moment. So there is some depth there. But what do you make of Jose? Do you still put him in that elite manager category? No, you have to. I know when he left United, we were all sort of bit, get out the door. You sort of you bring the club down with you, get Solskjaer on as sort of a breath of fresh air. So we all sort of labelled Jose Brenio as finished and he didn't have it. Obviously he does. He's a world-class manager. He's won it all. Obviously. And he's come into the job at Tottenham. We thought, oh, Tottenham's not quite the right fit. And again, long term, I still don't think it'll be the right fit. Now, Jose Mourinho doesn't really need to think long term. If he goes in and wins something in his first two seasons, that's his job done. So, yeah, I think everyone was, including myself, probably a little bit harsh on Mourinho. Even in the transfer window this year, I was thinking, okay, good sign-ins, but I don't see much there. I don't see Jose Mourinho getting exactly who he wanted, which Jose Mourinho needs exactly who he wants if he's going to be happy. But at the moment, it's proven to be well. I'm not sure how much of it is dependent on Son and Kane, which I mentioned at the start, or how much is down to their overall sort of Mourinho's management of the whole squad. But yeah, fair play to him. He is doing well. And there is a part of me, as much as we, I wouldn't say we hate Jose Mourinho, but there is a part of every United fan that I still think has a little bit of love for him and a lot of respect for him. So I think if it did come down to it, which I mentioned what result is better, if it came down to a title race and you're looking at clubs like Chelsea, like Liverpool, like Manchester City, I think a lot of United fans would play favour Tottenham for the title. Oh, absolutely. And to be honest, I admire Jose. Maybe it's because of the all-or-nothing documentary that got covered, but I've got to say, I've got a lot of respect for the guy. He feels like he is a good manager, maybe a bit hard-nosed in what he expects from characters or, or the characters of players, but look, no doubt about it, he is a good manager and he does know how to win titles. All right, Tom, let's talk about what we all have been waiting for, Manchester United. All right, so let's preview the match. Um, Sheffield United... Mate, they're garbage. They're sitting bottom of the league, one point. So, surely, because, uh, damn it, I, I can't go in with positivity anymore. This is set up for a Sheffield United smash-and-grab shithouse, is it not? 100%. It is written in the stars. However, and look, we can joke about it, and whatever we say in this podcast, it doesn't jinx anything. The players have to go out and perform. The Sheffield United players, they have to go out and perform. So, so we're not jinxing anything, but you just know that it is written in the stars. However, you say they're rubbish, and look, yes, the points don't lie. They're on one point. They've had one draw in, what, 11 or 12 games. So, yes, you could say they're rubbish. However, I've watched them a few times. I watched them against Leicester, and they were good against Leicester, and it was an injury time breakaway by Jamie Vardy. So suddenly you look at, well, if they've got a draw against Leicester, that looks like a fantastic result. But it just adds to another loss, and you just think, 
I can't remember too many times. I think they got pumped once, maybe three or four nil by sort of a mid-table team, which thought, oh, geez, that's a bit of a hammering. But other than that, I think that I can't remember they've sort of been hammered. Like you look at, I'm definitely not comparing them, but Liverpool have conceded seven. We've conceded six. Manchester City have conceded five. I don't see that with Sheffield United. I think they're quite sort of narrow losses. So it's going to be hard. Like, it's hard when they haven't won a game. They are rock bottom. And we should go in there with confidence, of course we should. But there is a part of that. That's a natural thing that says, this is going to be a very tough game. And it, as always, we always make the point pretty much every single week. It's almost Solskjaer's biggest game in his United's history. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And let's go into the starting eleven that you do expect United to set up. Can I say, the biggest threat Sheffield United will have to United is set pieces. And obviously, we're weak um, with set pieces. It's where we concede a majority of our goals. And I have to say, before we get into the starting eleven, if you're thinking you want to avoid fouls for set pieces, I'm thinking you don't start Fred in this match. But please, give me your team. I haven't thought too much. Well, I think so much of this team selection, and I know it's a balance for this one because Sheffield United aren't the best team, so you think, oh, is it a game we can rotate? However, the importance of it, you almost need to go full strength. However... You can't go full strength if you have leads a few days later and then a game on bo- a game on Christmas Eve, then a game on Boxing Day type thing. So it's a difficult choice. I think he has to rotate a little bit and I don't like the idea of doing that because of the importance of the match. Like, Could you imagine after all the hard work, the title race opens up for us with one or two results and we go to the bottom place team and don't win? That is why I think he needs to go the strongest team. But again, the other part of my brain is saying... We need to rotate because we've got such a tough game against Leeds only a few days later. So I would be looking at maybe sort of two or three rotations. I'd be looking at maybe dropping, again, not dropping, but resting one of the centre-backs and throwing two and Zabi in, whether that be Maguire or Lindelof. I'd probably maybe drop Lindelof and throw two and Zabi in there. In midfield, I think it's a chance to throw Matic back in there and drop, again, not drop, but one of Fred and McTominay to come out. It's a big one. Maybe Bruno Fernandes, Donny van der Beek for Bruno Fernandes. What do you think about that one? I, I can't see it happening. I, I can't see it happening. Especially if you look at the results that have happened today. I think Solskjaer can look at it as an opportunity to not just build, put confidence into the squad, but like we say, Tom, put ourselves in a potential title race. So I think he he will start Bruno. He really will. And you've got to think, there has been a decent break between games now. I think there's no reason not to go with your strongest side and a side that you know can score points. I think he goes... I think we see Pogba Bruno this time. For the first time this season, I'd believe. Or since since the Tottenham match. But I think, yeah, I think you see Pogba and Bruno and maybe Matic a little bit deeper to allow Pogba to get forward. Yeah, I've got no issue at all with him going the strongest 11 possible. And there's a big part of me that agrees with that. However, I just think there will come a time where it is such a congested fixture sort of pile-up we're coming into the Christmas period in this unique season. Well, he has to rotate at some time. And if you can't do it against the bottom team, when can you? I take your point. I mean, look, I'd see a case for start, starting Donny. Um, and I think the Dutchman has looked good when he has come in. So I'd support it. I just don't think Solskjaer will do it. Um, what, let's, what about the forward lineup? Do you expect Cavani to start this match or... I'm telling you, mate, if, if anyone's going to score, I, I got a feeling in me Martial's due. I think he's going to put one in the back of the net. And I, when I say that, I don't mean the own goal against PSG away in the Champions League. I mean <laughs> in the opposition's net. Yeah, well, it comes down to my rotation thing. If I was to pick this team, and again, <coughs> someone could argue it is a stronger 11 with, with this setup. I'm not quite sure. I, everyone's got their own opinion on it. But I'll be playing Cavani through the middle and Martial on the left. I'll be dropping, Ra- not dropping Rashford. 
but I'll leave Rashford out for this one and um, because I think Leeds play such an open game I think there'll be a lot of sort of counter-attacking sort of transitional play against Leeds I think Rashford's pace will be key in that game so yeah I think Martial will play off the left and Cavani through the middle on the right I'd put one Mata yeah well look personally I would um I'm not quite sure. Sheffield United obviously do get forward from the back in terms of you, you have to look both ways for one matter. However, you look at our best defensive displays this season, it has been with one matter on the right-hand side. So it, it might look on paper not the ideal game for matter defensively in terms of the way their centre-backs and full-backs get forward. However, the facts show that one matter does sort of provide a lot more defensive colour than um, sort of Mason Greenwood or Marcus Rashford on the right. So... Yeah, my, my front three would be Marshall on the left, Cavani through the middle, and Matter on the right. All right. Well, we've wrapped it all up there. So, all right, Tom, who's the key man? And bloody hell, tell me the result. And a better end with United and with three points. I think uh, the man of the headlines, Paul Pogba, I think he starts this game 100%. And he'll be the key man in one or two ways. He's going to go win us the game and just put in a what you expect from Paul Pogba against sort of your so-called poor team in the Premier League or he's going to have a stinker and the all eyes will be on him while we drop points so well, I think it'll be Paul Pogba I'm praying it is for the good reasons though Alright Tom without elaborating I just want a one word answer should United win this match are we in a title race is 21 a potential a potential saying for the rest of the season yes alright we'll leave it there Pleasure as always, mate. If you are holding your phone and listening through iTunes or on your iPhone, make sure you give us a five-star review. You know the spill. We love interacting with you guys, but in return, we just ask that you allow more people to interact with us. Leave your comments. Follow us. We're on Instagram. We're on Twitter, Facebook, The United Pubcast at UTDPUB. Tom, pleasure as always, mate. And I guess we'll chat after the Sheffield United match. I think we might concede one from a set piece, but I think it'll be a win. Tony Marshall will score again. Fingers crossed. All right, cheers. Cheers.